have your Bibles, turn to Psalms chapter number 5, and we'll take a look at a psalm tonight, Psalm chapter number 5. Uh, as Brandon takes breaks along the way, then we're going to continue on in the psalms. I thought I was going to skip some, but I don't, I don't think I will. I, it's like everything else in the Bible that's all important, so we'll just kind of uh, meander through the psalms over the coming months and, and on those breaks, and uh, I think it'll be a good place to to be. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm number five and you look in the margins there and you see that or in the heading there, you see that this is a Psalm of David and it was given to the chief musician. It says with flutes, uh, that's the Hebrew word uh, nihilith. Uh, if you look back, it's uh, Psalm number four. He said to the chief musician in the title there with strings instruments, uh, not flutes there, it's stringed instruments, instruments, which is the Hebrew word neganoth. So one of them's played the uh, string instruments and one of them played the flutes, and I can't tell you why he chose that for, for one. And uh, Actually, flutes probably covers a lot more than just flutes. It's probably any wind instrument, but uh, it's interesting that all of these psalms were were sung by the by the congregation in the temple and and uh, uh, they knew these psalms well uh, and this is one of David's seventy three psalms that we know he wrote he probably wrote more than that but we know of seventy three that uh, are attributed to him and uh, so they're always special psalms when they're they're psalms of David but all of them are special but anyway let's pick up in verse number one and listen to what David says, he, he says, Lord, give ear to my words. Oh, Lord, consider my meditation. So here's David, and he begins his psalm, and he's, he just cries out to the Lord, and he says, Lord, I mean, hear my words, but, but more importantly, more importantly than hearing my words, hear my, the meditation of my heart. Hear, hear my thoughts. You know, we go to the Lord in prayer, and, and I think sometimes we, we want to say something, but we just can't get it out in words. Well, uh, that's what David's saying. Lord, you, you know, uh, if I don't say this right, uh, he's going to say it right because the Holy Spirit's anointing this, but I don't know if he knew that at the time. But, but uh, uh, he, 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 if, if, Lord, if you can't understand what I'm trying to say, listen, I know who you are. He's almost talking about almost expressing the omniscience of God, the fact that God knows his thoughts, that he knows his meditations. And so he knows God is going to hear this prayer. And, and uh, uh, he, he wants God to, to answer that prayer. To, if, if he's asked for the right thing, he wants God to give him the right thing. If he's asked for the wrong thing, he wants God to not give him the wrong thing. And so God not only hears our meditations, he knows the best answer to our prayers, and a lot of times that answer is, is no. Uh, then he says in verse number two, he says, Give heed to the voice of my cry. And listen to how he addresses Jehovah God. He says, My king and my God, for to you I will pray. So David's crying out to the Lord, who is both his God and his king. Now, what's the difference? There's a there's a a very subtle difference there, but it's a major difference. Uh, David sees, first of all, Jehovah is his God. Uh, that means that, that uh, he sees him, Jehovah, as his object of worship. 
he sees God above everything and above everyone. And so Jehovah is his God. He he's, worships him as his creator. He worships him as his, his redeemer uh, and savior. And uh, he worships him in a way as his friend because David was really a, a friend to God. He was a man after God's own heart. But he also sees God, and this is important in our prayers, he also sees God as his king. Uh, and, and that's important because as a, the king is the one who has authority. And David sees God as the king who has authority over his life. And so uh, that means if God is king, then our prayers must line up with the will of God. They can't just be uh, just what we want. They need to uh, fall under the will and authority of God. And uh, that means that God has the final say uh, where we go and what we do. And so whenever we go to the Lord in prayer, we want to recognize him as God and we worship him as God. And we know that he has all power. We know that he can do anything. But we also recognize him as king, as having authority over our lives. And and uh, we want to do whatever within his will. I mean, I don't know we want to do that, but we want to want to do that. All right, verse number three. He says in verse number three, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it, it to you, and I will look up. The first thing David did, I believe, in the morning every day was look up to the Lord. And, and uh, we saw earlier in a few of those psalms, or one of those psalms we looked at uh, before we came to Psalm number five, that that uh, David prayed in the morning. I, I think it's important that we live our lives in an attitude of prayer, that we live our lives cognizant always of the presence of God. Uh, that's why Paul says we're to pray without ceasing. Ceasing, but I also think it's very important that we begin our days in prayer. Our prayer should be the most important thing. Our morning prayer should be the most important part of our day because it sets the tone for the rest of the day. And I, I, I don't know about you, but, but my experience has been when I skip that morning prayer, uh, I'm, I'm heading and I, or I take uh, kind of flippantly uh, pray in the morning, then I'm, I'm taking a great risk because I'm... I'm uh, I believe it. You're stepping out of the will of God and you're not acknowledging the presence of God and, and uh, you lose that hedge. Maybe you come outside of that hedge of protection, let me put it that way, that God will set up for you if the first thing you do in the morning is give the Lord your day. You're, it's just just makes for a better day. And, and uh, 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 I mean, Jesus, what was the first thing he did every morning? He prayed. The first thing David did every morning uh, he prayed. So who we think we are, we think we can get through our day without prayer. If Jesus couldn't get through his day without prayer and David couldn't get through his day without prayer. So that's the first thing we want to do. And I think most people do that. But again, I think sometimes we don't take it as seriously as we should. Uh, I, I, I think whatever, you know, whatever we do, we need to carve out some time in the morning before we get going uh, into our day. All right. Now, here, the next thing David's going to do in this psalm is kind of interesting. Uh, he's going to actually ponder this idea of why God even hears our prayers in the first place. I mean, 
Does God hear our prayers? Will he answer our prayers? I mean, do we deserve God's answers to our prayers? He's going to ponder all of that in the next part of this, this psalm, uh, picking up uh, in verse number four. He says, and this, this, kind, of, this kind of eliminates us all from, from the, having the ear of God, because listen to what he says in verse number four. He says, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Now, we talked about praying without ceasing and living in an attitude of prayer. Well, whenever you're in prayer, where are you? You're in the temple of God. You're in the presence of God. You're dwelling and abiding with God. And you read this, this last part of this verse, and a lot of people quote this verse out of context because David's heading somewhere here. And they quote this and say, oh, God won't hear your prayers if you sin during the day. Well, he'd never hear any of my prayers. Uh, uh, they kind of take it, well, I didn't sin, so he's listening to my prayers. He's not listening to yours because you've sinned. We all sin. We have evil thoughts. We, we, we're, we still have our flesh. But it's pretty clear there, if you just take that out of context, that uh, God won't listen to your prayers nor, because evil can't dwell with God. I mean, you can't live with God. You can't be in the presence of God and have sin in your life. But how do you do that if we're sinning? So he goes on and uh, we'll, we'll look at the next verse, verse number five. He says, the boastful, he's talking about the arrogant and the prideful here, shall not stand in your sight because you hate how many workers of iniquity? All workers of iniquity. And I've got news for you. We are all workers of iniquity. And if we say we aren't, workers of iniquity. We've just lied and made ourselves a worker of iniquity. Probably the worst sort of worker of iniquity is a liar to God because lie, your, your integrity is, is, defines your character. And uh, so if, if you're a liar, you have no character. Uh, and, and that's why John says in 1 John, if you say you have sin, Hey, you're a liar and you're calling God a liar. You say you have no sin. So, so David sees this and he's heading somewhere here. He says, for you, you're not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Even worse, look at verse number, uh, and verse number five, he says, the boastful shall not stand in your sight and you hate all workers of iniquity. But even worse, look at what he says in verse number six. He says, you shall destroy those who speak falsehood, who speak, what's a falsehood? A lie. The Lord abhors bloodthirsty men, murderers, well, we all know that. But he also abhors a deceitful man or woman. I mean, in other words, it's almost as if David is saying, hey, don't waste your time coming to God if you're a murderer. And, and David was a murderer. <laughs> you know, he murdered all but murdered with his own hands, Uriah. I mean, he didn't do it with his own hands, but, but he ordered his murder. So, so uh, uh, he was a murderer. And Jesus said, you know, if you have unjust anger in your heart, then you've committed murder against your brother. So, so I think we're all to some degree murderers. But let's say for the 
for the sake of a lesson here that, that uh, you can say, I, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't physically murdered anybody. But look at the last part of that verse. Are you deceitful? Have you ever spoken a falsehood? Do you still speak falsehoods? Do you, do you still, are you still deceitful? And I think most of us, if we're honest, we would have to say uh, we have lied and we do deceive others. And, and, and so that means, hey, we're doomed to be destroyed by God. You shall destroy those who speak falsehoods. Now, where David's heading with this is the same way Paul heads in Rome, the first part of Romans. He's heading to convict everybody that, that they're, they're uh, wicked. As Jeremiah says, the heart is desperately wicked. In other words, there's no one righteous. No, not one is what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. So if there's no one who's righteous, and we go back here, and it says in verse number 4, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. So he, that verse is saying, if you have sin in your life, you cannot enter the presence of God. So how do we get into the presence of God? Well, verse number seven, David tells us how. He said, but as for me, as for me, he's Speaking of himself here, I will come into your house not based upon my own righteousness, but I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. In other words, wherever David was, when he bowed down, he looked toward the temple. David, David says, Lord, I, I, I fear you. I, in fear of you, I'm going to look towards the temple. Because he said back in verse number six, you destroy those who speak falsehoods. You destroy, you're going to destroy the bloodthirsty and the deceitful. And David fell into that category. So he says, in fear of you, I'm going to, when I go into prayer, I'm going to look towards the temple. Now, why would he look towards the temple? Because it was at the temple that they offered the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices that covered the sins that pointed to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why Jews today, when they pray, look towards the Jerusalem and the temple because they don't have any place to make their sacrifices. That's the closest thing they can get to finding mercy is to look towards the temple of God. And, and so David's saying, I'm based my prayers upon your sacrifice, not upon my good works. I base them upon, I love this, your multitude of mercies. You know, if he, your, your five mercies or your 10 mercies or your 100 mercies, that wouldn't be too good. But, he says I, but I, he says, I will come to you into your house based upon your multitude of mercies. What's a multitude? A multitude is a, is a, a an innumerable number. Uh, you, can't, you can't count it. I mean, uh, you've got, uh, it's an innumerable amount. Uh, you got a, when you talk about a multitude of people, then that's a, so many people, you can't count them. When you talk about the multitude of the stars, there's so many stars, you can't count those stars. And here he talks about a multitude of mercies. So many mercies that the Lord can cover all our sins. 
in our sinless and lawless deeds, he remembers no more. And where do you find that mercy? You don't find it. We don't find it in ourselves. We find it in the Lord. So you want a good way to begin your prayers every morning. That's, that's where you want to begin. You don't want to begin, Lord, I deserve this. Or, and if we storm into, the, into our prayer closet, demanding things from the Lord, like sometimes I do, and you might do too, uh, I deserve this. Oh, well, you be careful. You don't want what you deserve from the Lord. None of us want that. We should always begin our prayers. And I hate to come up with any kind of rote prayer. Jesus hesitated to do that. If you're ever in death, though, follow the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be your name. What's his name? It's Jehovah. His name is Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. There's a lot in that name. That's why it's such a hallowed name. Because that's the first thing that we need to think about when we come to the Lord in prayers. First of all, except by the multitude of the mercies of God that come through that cross, we wouldn't, we, we couldn't come to the less, we couldn't come to the prayer, through this prayer room, and actually, we actually deserve to be destroyed. But it's through His grace, His multitude of mercies, that we're made righteous, and that we can come into the prayer room and, and, uh, uh, be with the Lord. And that's why he says in the next verse, lead me, O Lord, into your righteousness. In other words, David's recognizing the fact that he doesn't deserve to even be in the presence of God and that God makes him righteous by those sacrifices. And not only does he want positional righteousness, he wants to live a righteous life. I mean, we talked about that Sunday. If, if you're truly washed and born again, you've been changed. You've been changed into a new creation, a creation that desires holiness and righteousness. And if that's not the case, then you're, you're, you're probably not saved. And I know everybody here is saved, so I'm preaching to the choir. But, but uh, we come to the Lord based upon that standing of righteousness that he gives us. But we also, one of the, one of the top, priorities of our prayer time should be to ask the Lord to lead us into righteousness to, to, to not, instead of into the wickedness that we would go into without his, his guidance. And why do we have to ask the Lord for help there? Because we've got enemies. He says, because of my enemies. I mean, he was speaking there of maybe more than just military enemies. He had, we've all got enemies. We've got Enemies that amount to the other people in this world that hate us because of who we are. But we also have the devil who's our enemy. And I got to tell you, I've met the enemy and he is me. My flesh, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, those are all my enemies. And so I'm not going to live, I'm not, I, yeah, I've been washed and I can come into the prayer room and I can speak to the Lord, but I'm not going to lead the kind of life that the Lord wants me to lead unless I ask for that. You know, we don't ask for that. And then we fall all over the place all day long and, and, and fall into all sorts of sins and we wonder why. You know, the first, the first prayer that I'm, or one of the first prayers that I make in the morning is the prayer of Jabez. That part of the prayer of Jabez where he says, uh, Lord, keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. 
that I might not cause pain to you, Lord, that I might not cause pain to myself, that I might not cause pain to others. I mean, lead me into a path of righteousness and, and, and don't allow me to be tempted beyond what I can stand. And that's a, I think that's a viable prayer, and I think that's a prayer that God wants to answer. I think if we think, man, I can handle this day on my own, uh, well, yeah, Lord, I want you to help me in traffic, and I want you to help me get this job, and I want you to help me get this car, but I can, you know, I can be righteous. Let me tell you what, it's a lot easier to go get a car than it is to, to be righteous. And so, so that's, that is such an important part of our prayer time. First of all, we hallow the name of the Lord. We come to the Lord. We recognize who he is. Uh, we, we, and then we, we, uh, we ask the Lord to lead us into, into righteousness, deliver us from evil. Uh, that's what he, we ask for, of the Lord. Now, uh, he goes next in verse number nine, and he goes back to this, this uh, look at the wicked. And he says, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Leave me, let me finish the first part. of. I, I didn't finish reading eight. Leave me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face because I'm going to face enemies that are going to draw and drag me down. And there's no faithfulness, he says in verse number nine, in their mouth. In other words, they don't have any integrity. You want to, you want you want, I'm going to tell you what, people without integrity, especially when they call themselves Christians, really bother me. Because it, it, I, I understand that sometimes Christians lie. But if it is a pattern of lying and not doing what you say you're going to do, there's, there's a serious problem there. Because it, 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 your witness in this world is defined by your character. If you have no character, you, you have no witness. And, and I really, if you have no character, I've got a question if you even have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Because the Holy Spirit is truth. He is character. And so character is everything. And, and, and uh, you know, without character, uh, at best, we have a very, very weak faith. And so... There's no faithfulness in the wicked's mouth. We're not like them. I don't want to be like them, David says. Their inward part is destruction. In other words, their minds are set on violence. I mean, all you got to do is watch the, the, the movies and, and all, uh, you know, everything's about hurting other people or getting vengeance or, or taking people's things. And, and uh, that's, that's because that's human nature. That's the way we are until we've been regenerated. And I like this, uh, this, I don't think there's a more graphic picture here of the wicked and really the way we were before we were saved than their throat is an open tomb. Now, can you think of anything more disgusting than an open tomb? I'm talking about after the person's been dead and and they're put in the ground and you leave the tomb open. That's kind of the picture you're getting right here. Their throat's like an open tomb. I mean, uh, when they open their mouths, I mean, it's like looking down into an open tomb. And what do you see when you look down into an open tomb? You see a dead person. And when you see a wicked person open their mouth, what do you see when you look down into their souls? You see a, a dead person, somebody who's spiritually dead. And a, a dead body stinks, and, and they stink. You, 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 
I mean, I think about how bad I stunk before I got saved. Think about how bad you stunk before you got saved. And I'm talking about spiritually. I still stink physically. But uh, uh, spiritually, hopefully, I'm, God is changing all of that. Uh, what else do you know about an open tomb? It's dark. It's dark. You can't think of anything darker than a tomb. And... Uh, uh, because there's no light. And, and Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And wicked people are people without light, and so they're living in darkness. is darker than the grave. And then I'll tell you what else about an open tomb. You've got to be careful if you're walking through the graveyard that you don't trip and fall in that open tomb yourself and lay there with that dead body. And I think as Christians, sometimes we, we hang around the wrong places. We hang around graveyards. Bars are like graveyards. There's a lot of places on this earth that are like graveyards. We hang around in those places. We, we, we might be in a danger of, of falling in or falling asleep. One, you're laying in that tomb. All right, uh, going on, verse number 10. He says, pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their counsels. Cast them out of the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. Now, at this point, David kind of switches tunes. He's not just comparing himself to the wicked or worrying about what the wicked are going to do to him. He's actually asking God to do something about the wicked. This is called the imprecatory psalms, and this is the first of the imprecatory psalms. And that's where the psalmist cries out for, for uh, God to do something about the wicked, to destroy the wicked, basically to cause the wicked to fall. And uh, 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 I believe that there's a lot of people that question whether an imprecatory psalm is, is valid, a valid request because of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about pray for your enemies and uh, uh, pray for those that uh, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. So does that line up with that? Well, what if you follow, follow all the imprecatory psalms in almost every case the wicked are not so much the enemies of david or the psalmist they're the enemies of god and i think it's a valid request to ask god to bring down his enemies and, and not so much a request against a particular individual but a request against the wicked and the enemies of God that God will bring them down or bring them, save them and bring them up to him. But to sit around and say, well, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to worry about the wicked. Uh, uh, and if they hit me, I'm just going to turn my cheek and I don't, you know, I'm just supposed to feel okay about that. I don't think that's being real. I actually believe that, that we're, it's a valid prayer to ask the Lord to, to, do something about it or take care of those people. Save them, first of all. You pray for them, you save them. You can't hate them, you know. And ask, actually asking God to work in their lives and to straighten them out is actually love in, in at least one respect. So, so uh, there's nothing wrong with an imprecatory prayer. Uh, now, notice also here, that David doesn't ask God here to send him some sort of supernatural plague. 
He says, let them fall by their own counsels. You know, the more and more I observe life and God's dealings with mankind, the more and more I realize that God has to do very little to judge us. We are so wicked and sin produces death. And so all God has to do to judge the wicked is just to allow them to continue to be wicked. That's why you read in Romans 3, God gave them over to themselves. He gave them over to their evil. He gave them over to a retrobate mind. And once he does that and you pass that line, judgment's coming. And God doesn't have to do anything. Uh, I mean, he can send supernatural plagues and disasters if he wants to, but he really doesn't have to do anything. Mankind will do it to itself if, if, if you, in due time. Then he says in verse number 11, in contrast to that, well, let me finish verse 10. He says, cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For uh, This is interesting because he talked about the multitude of mercies that are available from God. Uh, I don't think David's saying he's better than these people. He's, he's living under the mercies of God, but they need that mercy too. But a person who continues to rebel against God is not going to get that mercy. And so he says, cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions because they are continually rebelling against you. Maybe a little better translation there. And he says in verse number 11, but let those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy. Watch this. Because you defend them. Look, if you're a child of God, and how do we get to become a child of God? By putting our trust in the Lord. If you're a child of God, if God be for you, who can be against you? God is going to defend us. In his time, he is going to defend us. And I have, that's, that's like saying, I've never seen a righteous man begging for bread. I have never seen a child of God who wasn't defended by God. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have trials come our way. But in the end, God is going to defend his people. Let those who love your name be joyful in you. What's the secret of joy for the believer? It, I'm going to tell you what, it's our faith. It's our faith. It's our trust and our rest in the Lord. It's contentment in the Lord. That's, how, that's where we find joy. Uh, I mean, we have to be like Abraham. The Lord, we, we, until we make the Lord our exceedingly great reward, we're going to have all sorts of turmoil in our lives or all sorts of... Uh, emotions, we're going to have turmoils anyway, but we're going to have all sorts of uh, bad emotions, uh, bitterness and depression and all of those things until we learn the secret of joy. And the secret of joy is that our greatest gift from God is, is our faith. And let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. In other words, things are going to work out for your good. All things are going to work out for your good if you love the name of the Lord. And what's his name? It's Jehovah. It's Jesus. Jehovah, Jehovah is salvation. And when you truly put your 
faith in him and your trust in him, you have peace and you have joy forever. And God is your defense. Then he, the last verse here in this psalm, he says, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. Now, how did David get righteous? By a multitude of mercies. That cross, from that cross, there's a river of mercy flowing forth from that cross that covers every one of us with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that means that the Lord is going to bless the righteous. If you've been made righteous by Jesus Christ, then you will be blessed with what? With favor. With favor from the Lord. And again, that's one of those things, sometimes it doesn't seem like you're getting favor, but I promise you, if you're a child of God before that trial's over, before that situation's finished, you're going to know that God has given you favor because the Lord will surround you. Look at the last part of that psalm. He will surround him or he'll surround you as with a shield. In other words, he will protect you. Uh, and it all goes back to that prayer David prayed. When did he pray it? First thing in the morning. Lord, uh, you're my God. Lord, you're my king. I want to do what you want me to do today. You give me the orders. You tell me where to go. You tell me what to do. Lord, I have faith in you that everything in my day is going to work out for my good. Even though it might, there might be some tribulation and trial in my day, I know that you're going to defend me. I know that you're my shield. And as long as we're doing that, and we're doing that with a sincere heart, we're living under, in, within a hedge of protection that God has placed around his children. If we choose to neglect our relationship with the Lord, we choose to neglect that prayer time, we think we can handle this on our own, we get up in the morning, we go do our thing, and we just do our thing, I promise you, especially if you're a believer, that hedge is going to come down for a period of time, and you're going to get spanked, and the next morning you'll be on your knees in prayer. <laughs> and I, I've learned that lesson, I don't know how many times where I thought, well, I just can do it without the prayer today. I've I made it after Paris and I, my wallet was stolen. I made a vow I will never start my day without prayer again. So it's good advice. What a great God we serve, right? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for these promises here that, Lord, if we've been made righteous in Jesus Christ, Lord, you're not only our shield and our protector, Lord, but you promised to give us favor. Lord, that means that you're have your hand upon us every day. Lord, you empower us, you strengthen us, you protect us, you guide us. You, uh, Lord, and, uh, it behooves us all just to start every day just, just recognizing those, those great truths and Lord, recognizing your presence and giving our day to you. Father, David learned that lesson uh, probably the hard way too. Help us to learn it and Lord, uh, again, just thank you for your blessings, the blessings we have through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.